The NHL has a new captain. The Sens do the thing against the Leafs. Henrique is on the outside looking in as an Anaheim Duck. Crosby makes history. And McDavid is still finding ways to upstage his peers. Also, the Sun tried to ruin an outdoor hockey game. But if you're looking for shocking headlines, I would say this trumps them all. The best Florida team isn't the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's actually the Florida Panthers. And they currently sit second in the Central Division. The question is, can they ride the momentum? Episode 257 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to Lace Em Up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. And uh, we got a couple of appetizing topics before we get to the main topic. Brett, where are we going first? Yeah, well, the first one is I have to congratulate you because you've joined the, uh, your team joined the Boston Bruins as one of the teams to defeat the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, coming back from a, not a, a, not a three goal deficit, but a four goal deficit um this week so uh, a bit of a congratulations to you of course it's not a game seven in the playoffs but um it's still very impressive and um especially with your ottawa senators and the way they're playing um it's it's kind of a a cool little thing to play spoiler to your biggest rival yeah um and, and either way, it's honestly the happiest I've felt since 2017. The outdoor game against Montreal and the playoff run before that. Um, like, the, 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 the final two games in this series are what I figured Monday to be like, where the Leafs were simply the, the better orchestrated team. And the Sens definitely had their moments in this three-game series they had with the Leafs. Um, but in particular, the first game, it was interesting because Thomas Shabbat was hurt. He was banged up, didn't play a second of hockey. Um, Matt Murray was out of action because he was also banged up. So they were going with Marcus Hoberg between the pipes. And unfortunately for Hoberg, while he did have some good moments, he was going through a rough stretch at that time. And by the late stages of the second period it was 5-1 Leafs I'm thinking okay this is going exactly as I thought no matter how bad Ottawa's losing they always show some fights so I just want to see some fight and after Toronto gets the 5-1 goal then score to make it 5-2 Nick Paul getting them on the board and they go into the second intermission it's 5-2 and after the fact Sheldon Keith the Leafs um, said he had a sneaky feeling that uh, something bad was going to happen. He didn't really feel too good about his group. And um, you, you would think, well, the, the Leafs have a power play, just period. Surely they're going to make a, a 6-2 game, and this is going to be over for sure. Nope. Sends kill off the penalty. Artem Zook comes flying out of the penalty box, makes a nice move right. on Frederick Anderson. That was a nice Break goal. Away. Yeah, nice goal. His first goal, by the way, Arden Zub scores his first goal. His team wins. Take that, Austin Matthews, because that four-goal performance did not lead to a win for your team back in 2016. <laughs> um, You're so... Anyway, so that so the, it's a 5-3 game, so I'm thinking, okay, okay, 
too bad, not too bad. Then Ottawa makes it five for him, just like are the least are the least about to do the thing. Are they about to choke again in a February game? And then Dadnoff ties it up. Hogberg stands tall with some timely saves. We head to overtime. The Leafs have some good looks again. They can't solve it. Dadnoff gets a breakaway. Calls ball game. Sends pull off the greatest comeback in team history. And I say greatest because they were 0-237-3 when falling behind by four-plus goals prior mm-hmm. to this game. There were a couple of times where they would force a tie, like they did in January of 04 against the Islanders, like they did in January of 99 against Carolina, like they did in December of 98 against Florida, and uh, in March of 98 against the Islanders again. And back in April of 95, they lost to Montreal, but again, they were able to come back and at least tie the game. But they had never done the thing. They had never actually completed a comeback of this nature until February 15th, 2021. Yeah. It was just amazing to watch the, the fight in this group. And I, I've said it many, many times uh, off that the Ottawa Senators are improving. There are games where they are losing, where they are outshooting the other team. Last season, that was a rarity. The young guys look good. Dadanov and Colin White have shown some good chemistry. Matt Murray, despite what the numbers might indicate, has played better in the past couple of weeks. Um, I think overall, it's starting to get better. The only time where I really thought they weren't playing well at all was that three-game series in Vancouver and the two games that followed in Edmonton where McDavid absolutely dominated. Um, but other than that, like, the Sens have been in practically every single game besides that stretch, and they're just they're just finding ways to hang in a uh, no matter the score. They're, they, like I said, they just keep fighting. They're a hardworking team. They have a lot of upside but they need to develop good, consistent habits and play 60-minute efforts. And there have been times where they have a good period and are just like, okay, now keep that going in the next period, and they don't. And, like, a goal is scored 20 seconds later by the other team, and then Ottawa digs themselves into a hole, and that's ballgame, and they can't do anything else until it's too late. So the fact they were able to actually pull this off I think is huge for their rebuild – it's a positive sign that things are going in the right direction. Their first winning streak of the year. You can really build a lot off of this. So I think in a couple of years when hopefully the Sens are, are winning again and they're doing better and they're really getting the league's attention again, I think a lot of people will point to this game as the defining turning point in this rebuild if they can continue to build on this. As for the Leafs and whether or not uh, this latest meme – will result into more failures it all depends on them because in the previous years like 2013 against the bruins that obviously nothing can top that but that uh, that incident a pretty much exactly a year ago the zen where they don't even get 30 shots on carolina's net despite facing three different goalies one of which, again, was a Zanaboni driver. Who worked for them. Six to three. They don't even get 30 shots on net, and they give up like 50 shots. Right. They don't learn from that. In yeah. that playoff series to Columbus, they're up 3 nothing in game three. They blow that, lose in overtime. They pull off something out of their magic rabbit hat 
in game four, but that's after they're down 3 nothing, And then to follow that up, they get shut up by the Jackets in an elimination game. Yep. So, again, that's a definition of not learning from your mistakes. And credit to the Leafs. They've looked good in the past three games. So if they're able to learn from this and they win the Stanley Cup, they'll just say, yeah, we let you have your moment, but we're Stanley Cup champions now. Right. For Toronto's side, it's what they do next that matters, not the collapse. In uh, a silver linings for the Leafs, uh, just a little bit briefly here. Um, in 2018, the Washington Capitals uh, had a 5-1 lead uh, to a team, and they lost. Um, and also the 2010 Blackhawks also had a 5-1 lead, and they lost as well. Both teams are Stanley Cup champion teams, so uh, there's something. Of, of course, the Leafs are the least, so who knows. Yeah. But it is interesting that like those two Stanley Cup teams, I guess that's like the last two times... That that's ever happened, where a team has uh, uh, lost five to one at one point, um, and um, and I'm blanking, I, I forget which teams those were, but I did see it on Twitter. Um, so like that is, uh, it, it would be funny if this is like the spark that, or the reason why the Leafs ended up winning is they use this game as like a motivator to finally go over the hump. Um, just because they're like we can't we we can't be the laughing stocks one more year, um, especially to the Senators who I know you're saying that they they they've gotten better and clearly they're they have some hard work ethic going on right now. But like at, at the same time, they're the Senators. They they have a, still a few more years in the basement of the league. So um, it's um, you know it's it's definitely. Uh, like good for for the senators because they can also build on this and be like, hey, we can we can you know compete with anyone. It doesn't matter how far down they are. But um, and it, it's even more impressive considering that it was like you know as opposed to the Bruins game, like that was like a four to one deficit. Um, like this game was five to one, so the Sens had to score one more goal than the Bruins had to. Um, and, like, the Sens were a worse team than the Bruins team that did that uh, defeat as well. So it's like, and the, and you could make a case that the Leafs team that the Bruins defeated were worse than this team right now that the Leafs, uh, that the Sens were facing too. So, like, there's even, like, a harder skill there. But it is definitely funny how, like, um... Like, oh, this, like, of course, like, I'm not even surprised that this happened because it's like it's the Leafs, you know, this is the team that lost to a Zamboni driver that works for them, um, <laughs> that, like Steve Dangle says. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I guess it's something to look forward to, but it just shows how crazy the Canadian division is where, like, even the Sens, um, like, it seems like this, the Canadian division is just, so high scoring right now um, yeah. that, like, even the Sens, like, no lead is safe. Even, like, a 5-1 lead to the Sens, the worst team in the division and arguably the league, um, is is not, like, can come back from that. And you can just score five goals instantly just because everyone, every team in that, in that division, is, their division, like, their defense... It's not good. Um, so, 
Um, it just shows that like any lead is surmountable in that division uh, in particular. And, and like Sheldon Keefe said after the game, he says, you only get, you only get what the other team gives you. Mm-hmm. Like every comeback is possible because the other team, there was a pivotal moment or two that they gave the other team that gave them what they, uh, the energy that they needed to bounce back and, and, and do the thing. Yeah. So there, there's no doubt that Toronto helped Ottawa get back into that game with some uh, timely errors on their part. Um, like, for example, I don't know, uh, Morgan Riley not realizing maybe for a split second that Austin Matthews was wide open for the hat-trick goal in overtime, mm-hmm. and there's like a wide-open net, and Tadanov just stands there, it hits off of him, and then he goes the other way and scores, and Riley can't back-check in time. Let's be honest. Yeah, he can pin the game on Morgan Riley for that. It shouldn't have gotten to that point. Right. Like, that game should have been over in regulation, let's be fair. Yeah. Um, but I, I would hope the Leafs do something with this season and the way Austin Matthews is scoring goals. Like, he got, like, what, 18 goals in his first 18 games, something yeah, that nobody in this league has done in, like, 15 years. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, he has 18 goals right now. Leads the league yeah. by five. <laughs> he leads the league. Uh, the next closest is uh, is 12, Connor McDavid. And, and so that's um, that's a six-goal lead uh, from everyone else. Of course, Pasternak mm-hmm. isn't healthy, so I'm just going to say that all the time now. Um, he wasn't <laughs> healthy for a full season. Um, yeah. Anyways, um, we have to get going because I don't want to spend like an entire right. episode on this. Um, maybe eventually we will. Uh, I think there is something we could talk about for the Canadian division as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. Henrique... Adam Henrique, uh, was a, it's a bit of a surprise, but he was put on waivers yesterday or Saturday, um, and uh, he just now just went unclaimed. Um, Adam Henrique hasn't been exactly great uh, this year or in the past couple of years, uh, although I guess every now and then he has had like a 20-goal season and stuff. But, um, but again, like it's not like the Ducks have anyone other than Ryan Getzlav at center right now. So it is kind of strange to like to do this for your second-line center. Uh, yeah, Adam Henrique has four points in 16 games uh, this year. Um, I And then and the reason why he went unclaimed, even if he is a, you know, a decent player, um, is the fact that, well, first off, he's 31 years old, um, and he has uh, he's making five point eight million uh, per year for the next four years. So um, there aren't a ton of teams that can afford that. Um, and the only ones that we were thinking of that could probably do it is like Detroit and Ottawa or New Jersey. And all three of those teams, it wouldn't really make sense. Maybe New Jersey, maybe, but other than like Ottawa and Detroit are both rebuilding, and they don't need a like a 31 year old uh with four years left on their contract so um i think what's the more shocking thing about this is that you couldn't find a trade for for this like as i just said i know that he's not been good but you couldn't find a trade partner for like a decent depth piece like he'd easily be a third line center on any team um so it, it seems like uh, it would be a no-brainer. Maybe there's going to be a trade 
um, in the works uh, now that he went on waivers and stuff. But um, if I was just I was just saying that if if Henrique did go claimed, Bob Murray deserves to be fired because that just shows that like there was an open market for him, and you know someone got him for free. I guess. His con we were kind of right that his contract isn't good enough and stuff, but uh, yeah, it's just um, I think that was the more surprising part was the fact that no one wanted him, like you couldn't find someone to trade him uh, to. It's just that part doesn't make sense. Um, and I guess maybe they're trying to make room for Trevor Zegris or Isaac Lundestrom, um, so that's. That's the other possibility there, too. Um, that was my first reaction was like, oh, I guess they're going to call up Zegris any minute now. Um, but I, I guess I was looking at Twitter, and I think people are saying that it makes, I think uh, the Ducks Twitter is saying that it looks like Isaac Lindstrom is getting a bigger role, um, or that's kind of what this move means. But, um, yeah, it's still kind of crazy that he went on waivers because you would think, some team would be able to to trade for him, but I don't know. Maybe some more teams will start doing this type of thing where they'll put like their long like a lot of their players that aren't um, are underperforming compared to the contract that they're making uh, because they know that no one's going to take them as opposed to like putting I don't know Eric Comrie on waivers for the fifteenth hundredth time. <laughs> Yeah, it, it would have been so funny if the Devils just claim Henrique and are just like, hey, we got Vatnin and Henrique. Thanks, Anaheim. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think both can be true that Adam Henrique isn't living up to his contract value, but he is also a good player, just right. not at the level of his contract. Like, he's a face-off guy that at worst, he could be a solid line three, line four option for you. Yeah, um, and he has good def- playoff experience too. So that, yeah, like he's that been to the playoffs, actually been to the finals. Yeah, he was very good in the playoffs. Like. Yeah, yeah, defensively sound contributor. Um, can win key faceoffs. He can play the power play. He can play the penalty kill. Just an all around character guy, a, a leader on this team. You look at his numbers. He led the Anaheim Ducks in goals with 26 and points with 43 last season. And while he only has three goals and one assist in 16 games this year, at the time of the demotion, he was second on the team in goals, which also points to, hmm, how well is this team constructed, which goes back to Bob Murray, as you said, Brett. Um, I think Bob Murray should still be watching his back after this. Even though Henry didn't get claimed, like you look at his – track record with the Kessler contract and then the Henrik contract, uh, the trade that sent Kyle Palmieri to the Devils, uh, Shea Theodore to Vegas, and now he's such a monster now. Right. Uh, Freddie Anderson got dealt, although John Gibson's a stud, so we can understand that. But uh, the buyout of Corey Perry as well. You're expecting John Gibson to do everything, and now you're expecting him to do more after this demotion of Adam Henrique. I just don't see how this team is any better by uh, letting Adam Henrique uh, go on the waiver wire like right. that. So, yeah, it's yeah, like it's, it's a concerning situation, even still. Yeah, it's 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 like sure Henrique hasn't been performing well, but so has the entire team. <laughs> it's like 
why don't you put Jacob Silverberg on there? Why don't you put Ricard Raquel on there? Uh, it's like, it, it doesn't, that doesn't, that part doesn't add up. But on the plus side to the Ducks, um, if you look at the AHL uh, leaderboards right now, um, both uh, Trevor Zegras and Jamie Drysdale are two and three um, in the AHL uh, player stats ranking right now, or they're they're in points lead now. Uh, Trevor Zegras has nine points in eight games. Uh, Jamie Drysdale has eight points in eight games. Pretty good for an 18-year-old and 19-year-old um, who <laughs> that's their first uh, season in San Diego. Um, and the only player that's doing better than both of them in the AHL right now is Seth Jarvis, um, who has nine points in six games. Um, so that's why he has the lead over Segris, even though both of them have nine points. Um, so so th- there is something to look forward to if you're a Ducks fan, is like, you know, at least you have Drysdale and Zegris to look forward to, and Lucas Dostal has also been pretty good um, in San Diego as well. So, so you, like it, it does seem like you're, you know, you're doing well in the pipeline, so to speak. But right now, it's it's not looking great. Um, so I don't know. I think um, I know that there was a couple of things, or I'm kind of wondering just for because I do have Zegris in a couple of my leagues. It's just doesn't really make sense to not have Zegris up at this point. It seems like. Like, I know he's only played six games in the AHL, or eight games in the AHL. It seems like he's too good for the AHL already, and he should be up in the NHL. But at the same time, like, the Ducks are not a good team. Even if you do add Zegris, even if you do add Drysdale, like, you know, they they should be tanking this year. Like, they can just consider this year a lost season again, and, you know, get another piece uh, for the rebuild. And then you have, you know, you already have two very, very good players in Zegris and D- Drysdale um, in your system. So maybe you just, you know, keep them there for the entire year, even though they'll probably be decent when they come up. Um, but, you know, you I guess you can afford to wait and you don't have to have Zegris up right now on this tire fire of a team. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I don't know, I think that, I was thinking, like, inevitably, I was thinking, like, oh, that's probably why they, they're they going to call up Zegris any minute now, because of this Henrik news, but I feel like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it doesn't make uh, a ton of sense um, in the long term. Um, okay, and then, we have, uh, from one former New Jersey Devil Center to a current New Jersey Devil Center. We have uh, Nico Heischer. He made his return yesterday on Saturday um, for um, he's and he's also not only that, but um, he didn't really make much noise when he returned, but he is declared the captain for the New Jersey Devils. this makes a lot of sense, actually, come to think of it, because, like, when he was, you know, when he was 18 and started in the league, he was, you know, he was pretty decent, um, and then, um, you know, he's kind of, like, turned into this, like, two-way forward, um, and that's vital for a, a young team for New Jersey, because usually young players aren't that good 
defensively speaking, and he already has it, and he's like only 21 years old, so uh, or 22 years old, sorry. But um, so yeah, he's um, it's it's a good move for them. I think it, he's probably like the only answer right now. Um, I will say though that like I think now that Jack Hughes seems to be getting going and it seems like he's not going to be completely a bust and even Pavel Zaka has been pretty good too. It's like it's kind of interesting that he sure may not. I'm I'm curious to see how this Devils team um, gels with uh, Nico Heischer now that they're like both Jack Hughes and Zaka are both doing really well on their own without him. Um, so I mean, it is good that he is the captain. It seemed like it was the only choice. Um, but it is, I'm going to be curious to see how the Devils do with uh, Nico um, there when you add him on um, with like guys like Jack Hughes, Ty Smith. Um, I guess P.K. Subban has had his moments too, so... Um, Mason Blackwood has been incredible too. He deserves a dozen of votes, um, all the time. So yeah, that's, um, I'll be curious to see how Nico does. Yeah. Cause like as a whole, the, the, this devil's team is pretty young and you're expecting a 22 year old. Now the youngest cat current captain, in the NHL to carry the load. It's, it's probably going to have some growing pains. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just because of, like you said, the young stars that the devils have, and um, the leadership hurdles that he'll probably have to adapt to. But even still, without Nico Heischer um, and Blackwood missing some time due to COVID, and when Blackwood has played, he's played very, very well. Um, and then you look at Paul Mary, it took him 11 games to get his first of the year. And yet this Devils team is entering Saturday's action was like, playing at 104-point pace over an 82-game season. Yep. So there's definitely a lot to be excited about. And, uh, it, yeah, like you said, it, it, it'll be interesting times ahead for New Jersey. And uh, it, they're still playing in a tough division, so no games are going to be easy. But I think this year is going to be pivotal in the development of this team, much like um, younger teams like Ottawa, just learning how to win and just establishing that winning culture. Yeah, uh, the Devils have only played 12 games, uh, which is the lowest amount right now, other than, I guess, the Stars, although they've also only played 12 games as well. So, um, so yeah, they're, but, like, they're still, you know, they have 14 points in 12 games, um, and as you were saying, that's, like, a 104-point pace if they played a full 82 seasons. So, wait, that can't be right. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. Uh, I'm pretty sure. It, I'm pretty sure it is. That's uh, according to a tweet. It's a 104 point pace over 82 games. But wouldn't that, if they have 14 points in 12 games, that would mean that they. Okay, so maybe that? it was like I don't know. Um, yeah, so you said 14, 14 points. Over... <laughs> We're doing math live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm actually. Doing math live. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. I. Anyways, but I. I think, as I. I mean, I predicted this in the. As you. As you do this, I'll. Uh, I'll try to uh, stall you for a second. More like um, ninety-five, but. Okay, but even, ninety-five. Even still, like, I mean, yeah, it's still it, impressive. It, it, of it's, course, it's still better than a lot of people thought. Of course, of course, Let, that's so impressive. Yeah, like, yeah. 
95 points, that'd be a victory for New Jersey in the 82-game season. Yes, and the fact that, um, and I, like, I even said, like, I think the Devils could be a surprise team right now um, at the beginning of the year, and I think you even predicted that, like, Mason Black would be, would be, like, very good and, um... Yeah, Mackenzie Blackwood is the guy that I said, as the season goes on, I'm keeping tabs on him every step of the way. Because I want to see how, just how good he is. And I, and I said that I'd keep an eye on Jack Hughes, so I think we were both on to something, um, but in different ways. Um, but yeah, so I think the Devils will be interesting to still keep an eye on, for sure, in the future. And I think he's, I I don't know if you know this offhand, but and don't worry about it if you do, but um, is he the first Swiss captain in the NHL? He is not Roman Yossi. Is. Oh, Roman Yossi. Oh, that's right. Um, he's the captain of the Preds. Uh, but he was just named last season, so he hasn't True. been captain for very long in National either. So yes. the fact you have two Swiss captains in a span of two years, that also shows the growth of Swiss hockey and um, the, the talented stars that they have on the rise too. So that's yeah. great for the Swiss program. I, I can't believe I forgot Roman Yossi there. Um, yeah. But it's all right. Um, anyways, uh, let's... Let's do other things here. Uh, also, there was uh, some. There was an outdoor games. So there's going to be two actually. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yesterday there was a. Uh, it was at Lake Tahoe, which is for anyone who doesn't know, it's basically like this mountain place um, in in between Nevada and California. It has some nice views, or what they were showing on. TV was nice views. There was like a good lake, and um, and then there was like a nice little mountain and stuff. Um, however, this game started at like 1 p.m. or no, sorry, 3 p.m. Um, Eastern yeah, time. Yeah, 3 p.m. 3 p.m. our time, which would be like noon in in, in their in, in their in their time. Yeah, um, and of course there was the sun that came out. Um, <laughs> it was it was interesting too because like. Uh, because there was because of the pandemic and all that stuff, like all the outdoor games, like they didn't need to have fans, which I thought was a pretty cool little thing that they were doing. And this although is although yeah. I did see some kayaks and a boat filled with yeah, people, I did so see that too. I guess you could call no. those spectators. Yeah, that's true. And I did see like some like stands, but I think those were for media people. Yeah, um, those are probably for media yeah, yeah. people. And- yeah. And all that stuff, but it was still like it got the essence of what pond hockey is really about. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. it's it's straight out yeah. of a video game. Yeah. Like the, that's the kind of scenery that belongs in a video game. Yeah, it's it was, just it, it's it's it was just beautiful. It's too good to be real. It's yeah. probably the best outdoor scenery they could have picked. It was gorgeous. Yeah. However, yeah, the sun messed up everything. Yeah, well, I was about to get to that. However, this sun <laughs> was something that like in hindsight, the NHL probably could have figured, like, oh, yeah, the sun, we'll have to figure out a way to combat the sun. But, like, the sun got in the way to the point where they had to play this uh, the last two periods at midnight our time. That would be 9 p.m. their time. Um, and then, at that point, it was just kind of like there was just lights and you could hit, barely see anything else so it was, it was pretty yeah. it was still pretty cool but it wasn't as cool as when they were playing um at uh at noon their time 
um, earlier on. Uh, this also meant that the Bruins-Flyers game that's playing on Sunday, uh, that's going to be um, at 7.30. Of course, this is... <laughs> I saw this funny video of, like, a lot of podcasts say, like, oh, this is recorded right now when you guys will already see it. But this is true. <laughs> um, I'm going to reference it again. The... Uh, you guys will already know the results of that, but the Bruins and the Flyers are going to be playing at 7.30. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, the sun, it's going to be an issue. And uh, so it's it's still, it's going to be, um, I believe that would mean that it's going to be like 4 p.m. Uh, their time. I yeah, think it should be okay. I, I would think if, if they thought there would still be a chance of daylight, maybe they yeah. thought either A, the sun wouldn't be as strong or... Right. The, the forecast isn't nearly as sunny and there would be some cloud cover. Like, this is the thing. There's no bleachers getting in the way of the sun. Right. Which you Same have in the stuff. stadium games, which is probably why that wasn't as big of an issue back in back in previous outdoor games. Yep. And there was no cloud cover at all. Nothing blocking the sun. It was looking straight at the ice the entire time. Right, right. So that is a thing that I was thinking about, but... Like, at the same time, you would think the NHL would figure, like, realize, like, you know? Like, <laughs> there would be some kind of foresight, right? Yeah, it's just like, yeah, the suns, it's going to it's gonna be an issue. Yeah, if you start it's it, not going to sun in Vegas, <laughs> nah. That doesn't happen, yeah. It's just like, that. that's the only part where I'm like, why did they do that? Um, <laughs> the other thing I was thinking of is, I mean, obviously Colorado is a good, a good team, but... Because Lake Tahoe is in the middle of Nevada and California, I was kind of like thinking like they should just have it should have just been Vegas and some California team, um, you know, pick a side. But obviously, I think just from like a market standpoint, I think you want the better well, team. I mean, than you look at the McKinnon the goal; teams. it's yeah. pretty obvious why Colorado was in this. No, no, I mean, yeah, I understand it from like, that point. Like Petrangelo said, "Oh boy," and McKinnon hadn't even crossed his own freaking blue line. No, 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 no. Like I, I get it from like the like market standpoint, yeah, yeah. and I think that might also be Colorado's first outdoor game too, but. Um, no, they've been in some other outdoor games, but um, oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. think That's this possible, was definitely yeah. one of their finest showings. Right, and so I understand it, and it's like, you know, like it's not like the Kings, Ducks, or uh, Sharks are doing so hot anyway, so I get it. But it's like, uh, it's still, it's like Lake Tahoe is between California. It's like closer to uh, California than it is to Colorado. So that, that part of it's just like, I don't know if, um, it, just geographically thinking, thinking um, that's didn't make too much sense. But I, of course, I understand why they picked Colorado. Um, the other thing that was kind of cool too is that, like you know, the Winter Classic started in two thousand eight. Um, Vegas wasn't even thought of a, as a possible NHL destination at that point. So it's kind of cool that like they get an outdoor game, even like three seasons in the league um or i guess this is their fourth season in the league um so it's kind of it's just a little cool little thing that they they were they're able to like get this milestone for a team uh this quickly um i mean of course they're a really good team still but um but it's just kind of cool that it's like oh they they were able to get an outdoor game um maybe eventually they'll have a game that's 
with fans now that the Raiders are there, and I think there's another team that's going to be in Vegas too, but, um, so, so maybe they'll do it, like, where the Raiders play, that could be kind of cool too, Mm -hmm. but, um, there's there's yeah. uh there's also um an interesting little tidbit uh, for as everyone I'm sure was watching the game both teams were wearing the reverse retro unis yep. the Vegas were wearing the red ones and Colorado got to debut their Nordiques threads which every fan in Quebec was probably cringing right. the fact that the game was delayed and they had to watch that yeah. right that's true too although I didn't really love the Vegas uh, uniforms. Um, I don't know if I love the red there, but uh, they're, they're not the, the best, but they're, yeah. they're also not bad. I, I, I yeah, I guess. I mean, obviously, compared to all the other ones, I guess, like all the other reverse retros that we saw, mm-hmm. they weren't great. But yeah, you're right. I, I, I don't know. I guess the red and the gold is kind of a weird combination. One thing to me, I don't like about Vegas is the gold helmets. Oh, yeah. Uh, ben- them into the ether forever oh i kind of it doesn't work i actually love the gold helmets i'm i'm (laughs) huge on the on the gold helmets because it kind of reminds me of like what they did in like europe where they have like the i think in europe they have the goal scorer the goal leader wears gold a gold helmet um until they're no longer uh, either leader. gold helmet or flames on the helmet. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the two. Or I think be, it's a gold helmet. Yeah, yeah. Two, yeah. Which I think is kind of like a cool little concept. But of course, is, like yeah. um, everyone on Vegas is wearing a gold Imagine helmet. Imagine if you have like McDavid and Drysaddle yeah. in that scenario, and they just change by the day. Yeah, it'd be kind of funny. One day they're just, wearing like a normal helmet. Yeah. The next day they they have got flames on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's basically <laughs> just the yeah, Edmonton just keeps that helmet forever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's. That's I I like that concept of it, but you're right. It, it is a little different when it's like everyone on the team is wearing gold. It's better um, than the chrome helmets that their AHL affiliate wears, right. but I still don't like the gold helmets. I will say the gold jerseys have grown on me though. Those yeah, those I like the gold helmet, the gold jerseys too. Um, anyways, uh, that's <laughs> that's jersey talk there. Uh, Sydney. Cro- also, b- before we we go, uh, yes, uh, you were saying uh, Sidney Crosby um, also yeah. made history. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we're we're almost done with all these briefly yeah. mentioned stuff. We we uh, have we have uh, more appetizers than we thought we would. Exactly. But, yes. Um, this weekend was a pretty big weekend. Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, Sidney Crosby hits his uh, thousand scheme um, again on Saturday as well. Um, and yeah, I think he's, uh, and as you were saying pre-show that he was the first, he's the first penguin or the first player to play all a thousand games as a Pittsburgh penguin. You're probably thinking that, wait, that can't be right. Cause Mario Lemieux, um, also played all his games in Pittsburgh, which is true, but he didn't, he's never reached a thousand games. So Crosby's the first one there. Um, I was thinking like, oh, Yager maybe, but no, Yager um, didn't even when he was traded to Washington. Um, so, so yeah, the so Crosby, it's still pretty cool. I think Crosby is up there now as like we can start to talk to talk to him about like as the like top five best players of all time. He's up there in that discussion because he has. You know he has three cups. He has the gold medal. Um, he's he's been like the best player. I mean maybe you know now the title is 
McDavid, but, you know, for a time, he was considered the best player in the league, um, and he's still pretty, very, very good. Uh, so it's, um, so yeah, he's, he's probably one of the most consistent superstars in the league right now, and I, I would put him in top five. I don't have a list right now, but I would say that, yeah, he's, he's up there with, like, Gretzky, Mario, Bobby Orr, and Gordy Howe, um, yeah, and then you have Crosby. Um, I think I think he's earned that right. Yeah, like I mean, you look at Connor McDavid, and like the fact that he's on pace for over a hundred points is insane. The fact mm-hmm. he had three goals and two assists, and not even half the game against Calgary is insane. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of spite, he's just like, ah, M- M- McKinnon did something, Matthews did something, Crosby did something. I'm gonna get more points than all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then he just. And while he didn't get as many points because McKinnon had three, Crosby had two assists, and Matthews had four points. But McDavid sure tried his hardest to, to, to beat them. He, he, he had five points compared to the, the nine combined that those three guys had. Like, it was just an electrifying performance by McDavid against okay. Calgary. But you look at Crosby's resume. <laughs> after his say, we're talking about Crosby here. We're not talking about yeah, McDavid. After his, yeah, but here's what McDavid hasn't done. He doesn't have the resume as Crosby and obviously has a lot of time to do it, but to put Crosby's career into perspective, his 1,278 points at the time of his 1,000th game ranks him eighth all time. His 468 goals rank him 26th. His 810 assists rank him fifth. Yeah. Like you're talking like echelon of Wayne Gretzky now as, like, the greatest players to ever play the game, 100%. He's definitely in the conversation of top five players to ever play the game because he's just been so consistent and just redefining the game. Like, early in his career, absolutely. Middle of his career, sure. Um, But even today, just hanging around with the best players, he's still in that conversation. He hasn't lost a step at all. And, And in a milestone game... He comes through with two assists, and the Penguins are, are starting to look a little better. So yep. even at just 33 years of age, he's still a very much a relevant player and a top 10 player at his profession. So, yep. Yeah, he has, he has a 15. A guy that's been consistent good all the way through. Yeah, he has 15 points in 16 games right now. Um, he's like, I, I don't think he's near the points streaks, but like that's near a point per game and I wouldn't be surprised if he is a point per game player at the end of the season too so um yeah he's definitely uh still up there and I would yeah I would consider he's definitely in the conversation I guess when I was making that list up top I have to think about it some more but I guess there's also like Maurice Richard uh deserves a mention Nicholas Lindstrom as well um so there's definitely a couple of guys that I was missing. Yager is another one. So, um, but yeah, I, I think he's definitely in the conversation now as um, top five um, players all time. Um, but it's definitely Gretzky, Lemieux, and Orr and Cordy Howe are like the four horsemen of the NHL. Um, yeah, and, and you even you even think about like Lemieux, like he only missing, played yeah. 915 games, like didn't even get to a thousand. But there was a time where Crosby was dealing with concussions and all that, and we were wondering if he was ever going to be the same player. Right. And fortunately, for for the sake of hockey, for the, for, for Sidney Crosby's career and for his livelihood, um, he was able to return to form and be the dominant player that he is. So there, there were times 
definitely early on where we thought, is Sidney Crosby ever going to be this dominant ever again? And fortunately, he has been. So yep. that's also something that I was thinking about. I'm just like, man, like during that Winter Classic against the Capitals, there was a lot of doubt as to the future of Crosby and the type of player he could yep. become after all of those head injuries. Because that, that, was, that was a big hurdle for true. him. True. Yeah, that's true. And he was injured a lot last year, so it's like he kind of went under the radar last year, too, where he was thinking, like, oh, is, is Sidney Crosby lost a step? But it, it appears like he hasn't. Um, he's still very much in the mix of things um, and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the reasons why, like, when he doesn't score, a lot of it has to do with the fact that Pittsburgh isn't that good of a team. But <laughs> he's definitely a big part of it, too. Um yeah, it is funny now that you hear all these, like, stories of, like, like uh, silly trades uh, this year. Um, so, um, yeah, he's not worth um, David Pasternak in two first, uh, Michael Felger, but um, he is still a very good player. Um, and, I, I mean, I would want him on the Bruins, just not for David Pasternak in two first. Um, so... Anyway, so I guess that just shows you that how good he still is um, to the point that uh, Radio Jock wants to trade their best player um, and uh, two first for this uh, 30, 32-year-old. Um, yeah, for a 33-year-old Crosby. Yeah. Yes, yes, at a time right. where if it was any other player, a lot of yeah. people would look at that and just say, um, yeah, right. that's a bad trade. And not to mention the fact that the Bruins already have Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci it's like what is like like what are you gonna do like not have Bergeron be like the first line center there yeah is Bergeron not doing so well um (laughs) and that anyways so now we actually finally 45 minutes in we're gonna talk about our main topic um so Florida Panthers have been really red hot um, they are 11-3-2. They did have a nine-game point streak going, but that was ended on Saturday as well to Detroit, of all teams. But um, a lot of that also had to do with that. That was the second half of a back-to-back. Um, they're still second in the Central Division, um, so that's, that's still good, even though like beforehand they were first in the division. Um, some key players to talk about right now, of course, you have Jonathan Huberdeau and Alexander Barkov, who had, um, so Huberdeau has 22 points in 16 games, Barkov has 18 points in those 16 games, um, then you have a few surprises and newcomers, like Patrick Hornquist, who has 15 points, uh, Carter Verhehe, who was, uh, a trans, who they, kind of like an underrated move, who they got from Tampa, over the offseason. Um, he has 13 points in 16 games. Um, also, Anthony Duclair has 10 points in 15 games. Um, Alex Wenberg has 9 points in 16 games, but has really gotten going. Um, the interesting thing about Wenberg is that like he's starting to score a lot of goals, which when I remember back in his Columbus days, he was more of a, like a playmaker type who would assist yeah. on a lot of goals. But uh, he's actually scoring some goals now, which is... Kind of interesting. Um, but, yeah, so he's kind of picked it up. Um, then you have, yeah, I guess those are there for 
like just newcomers there. Um, then you have uh, the defense. We'll get to Dreger in a second. Um, then you had defense with uh, Keith Yandel. Um, there was like rumors that Yandel was going to, uh, you know, be benched for a long time. Um, but it turns out that wasn't true. He's played every game. Um, and in fact, he's been their best defenseman. He has 12 points in 16 games. 10 of those were assists. Um, and then you also have Aaron Ekblad as well. So it's like Ekblad and Yandel can kind of coexist as good defensemen too. Um, 10, 10 points in 16 games. Um, and then there's also Mackenzie Wieger, um, who has seven points in 16 games, but he's more like known for being more defensively minded and things of that nature. Um, yeah, and they've been, uh, so those are a key, a few of their key players for sure. Um, so before I get into Dreger and Bobrovsky, um, do you have any notes on those players that I just listed? I feel like we should probably talk about the skaters first, and then we'll talk about the goaltending situation. Yeah, we'll talk about the skaters and the goaltending and their team as well, but we'll talk about the skaters first. So, first of all, to Ekblad and Yandel, I would argue that Ekblad has had a better season than Keith Yandel. Yes, um, Yandel has done better in points. Uh, Ekblad has six of his 16 points on the power play. Or, or sorry, um, six of his 10 points, I should say, in 16 games. Yandel, um, Ekblad has been uh, posting on the power play. Nine of Yandel's 12 points have come with the extra man. He has four takeaways, 14 giveaways, which is three more giveaways than Ekblad. They have the same amount of takeaways. But you look at their ice time. Ekblad has averaged 24.55 per game and played a total of 48 minutes, 11 seconds on the power play. Keith Yandel has played 54 minutes and 55 seconds of power play time, which is more than Yandel, which explains the higher degree of uh, power play points. But I reason, uh, the reason I mentioned the 14 giveaways, Yandel has averaged 18.01 per game, which is six minutes and 54 seconds less than Ekblad per game. And he still has three more giveaways than Ekblad. So the reason why I say Ekblad has had a good, uh, uh, has had the better season, Yandel has had a good season. He is proving that on the power play, he can be lethal. When insulated properly, he can do well. But I don't think Yandel is necessarily the best defenseman on the Florida Panthers simply because he's not averaging as much ice time. Yes, he's doing his job on the power play. But that average ice time has gone down, and the giveaways are still kind of concerning. So, yeah, I guess uh, on one note on that, yeah, that's fair. I, I will, like, yeah, maybe defensively speaking, Ekblad has been better, um, and especially with the ice time here. But I will say that Ekblad has also, like, six of his ten points have been on the power play as well. So it's not like Ekblad has... has been doing so hot on even strength just from that that point of view too true but i'm just saying in terms of like overall situations ekblad has been asked to do more and he's responded i would i would even go as yeah, far to fair. say this is the best season that ekblad has had in his career to date that, that's fair that's totally fair i was just saying that it's not like ekblad has totally like just gotten all his points and all of his recognition mm-hmm. 
off of the power play. He's also been on the power play as well. So True. He's been on the power play a ton. Yep, you're right. Um, it's it's just that he's more front and center and Yandel's just insulated properly. And I think uh, part of the reason is because you also have guys like Rako Gudis, who has, I think, 84 hits, which leads the entire NHL. And you have guys like Uyghur and um, Gudis blocking shots as well. They have 37 Strong. block shots combined this year. So a lot of the rest of the defense on Florida has done a pretty nice job. And this defense also doesn't have Mike Matheson on it anymore because they traded him to Pittsburgh for Patrick Hornquist. Um, you mentioned Carter Verhage with 13 points in 16 games. His shooting percentage is 20.6, only 34 shots on goal. He scored seven times, averaged 17, 20 per game, which when you look at uh, guys like Alex Barkov, who's averaged over 20 minutes per game, um, and you look at Verhage's total power play time, not even hit 20 minutes of power play time this year, and all of his points have come on even strength. He doesn't have a single power play point. And yet he's been able to produce at almost a point of game pace, which is pretty excellent. Um, then you look at a guy like Patrick Hornquist, who has 53 shots on goal, eight goals, seven assists, 15 points, a really big resurgence from him. His ice time is even lower than for Haggies. It's 16.02 per game. Yet his power play time is over 52 minutes. He has five power play goals, which is top 10 in the league. He has two game winners and his takeaway giveaway ratio is seven to three. So even in that department, uh, Hornquist is playing pretty good hockey. So like for, for Hornquist and for Hagee, when it comes to like offensive performers, they've definitely stepped up yep. the most. Yeah. Kind of, Carter Verhage kind of was interesting. Is an interesting cat, so to speak. I know it's mm-hmm. Panthers. No pun intended, but intended. Yeah. There. Um, but it also kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, he's kind of an interesting case here, too, because, like, he had, thir- like, last year, he had uh, 13 points in 52 games uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But, of course, he all- <laughs> that meant that he had nine minutes of total ice time um, in, uh, in Tampa, whereas, like, he has 13 points now. And uh, in 16 games, so like, that's a pr- pretty crazy like jump from you know 13 points in 15 ga- 52 games to 13 points in 16 games. Uh, so it's it seems like uh, the Carter Verhage. I mean, of course, it's still early, and like he could drop off any minute now, I guess. But um, it's like quite a quite a big uh, step up from from what he was last year to. Um, what he is now, where, you know, I guess he probably wouldn't have had as much ice time um, in Tampa as he would in Florida, so clearly, um, but it's just an interesting thing. It's like, oh, when you give someone ice time like this, all of a sudden he's, like, performing um, and and doing so well, so it's, it's kind of, like, cool to see him do so well right now, um, even if um, maybe... Um, maybe it's not sustainable uh, over time. And I think part of the reason why he's had so much success is also the guys that he's been playing on. Like you said, it's one thing to like get third or fourth line minutes and produce at that at the rate he was in Tampa Bay. The year prior, he had, I think, like 82 points or something like that in the AHL to lead the league in scoring. So it's not like scoring points isn't new to him. He's, He's had some good seasons in other leagues. 
But two. definitely in the, in the NHL, this is the best start to a uh, season he's had in his career. And a lot of it has to do with the guys that he's playing with. He's playing with sure. the likes of Barkov and Huberto and playing yeah, top six minutes. Yeah, that helps a lot. Yeah, so like even with the limited power play time and no power play points, the fact he has 13 points in 16 games, when he's not in the power play, he's doing damage. And again, a lot of it has to do with the guys that he's playing on, which goes to show you just how important the likes of Barkov and Huberto are to this Florida Panthers team. Right both present day and in the, the future as well, because while Barkov is a solid two-way forward, he has 18 points in 16 games and seven power play points and 13 takeaways. And then you look at Huberto, and I think of guys like, like I said, Nathan McKinnon and McDavid and Matthews, where they touch the puck at their own red line or their own blue line, and you have a mini heart attack because you don't know what they're going to do with the puck. Huberto isn't the type of guy that invokes that type of fear. However, there's there's time within the next couple of years to establish that. And even still, like 22 points in 16 games this year, uh, his shooting percentage is 33% because his seven goals have come on just 21 shots. Right. And he has nine power play points and averages 16.37 per game. He's definitely a lethal scorer. He was, I think, a top 10 scorer in the league last year, too. So he's definitely coming into his own and showcasing that he can be just as good as some of the NHL's best all-stars. I don't know if he's elite yet, but he's certainly on his way to that level. And with the amount of reps that he's getting offensively, that confidence is only just going to grow even further. And that's where a guy like Verhage really benefits from playing on a line with Barkov and Huberto because they're so dynamic. Yeah, that is a good point. I'm, I'm pulling up his AHL stats. Um, he had 82 points in 76 games in 2018, mm-hmm. 2019 for Syracuse. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's clear that he can still, like, even, I mean, I know AHL is obviously a lower level to the NHL, but it's clear yeah, that he still has like when something. When you lead the AHL in scoring, it doesn't necessarily yeah. mean you're going to be an NHL stud a year or two later. Right, right, of course. Um, it d- doesn't always translate, but sometimes yeah. it does, and um, and you're right. It's like he is getting good deployment. He, like, I feel like any player, like I would do well with Barkov and Huberdeau um, as my line mates, and I can barely skate. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I think there is something to that and not to mention i think the other thing that's interesting about it is speaking of that is like dadanoff and hoffman are both on other teams and they're not doing so hot i mean i guess hoffman's been okay but um dadanoff hasn't been as good as he has been in florida um in ottawa so um so there is something to that where it's like oh you get like you know a 25 year old to replace dadanoff um, and you might be a better team for it. Um, all right, so speaking of Ottawa uh, misusing their players, we're going to talk about their goaltending situation. Sorry, Steve. Um, the uh, I guess the biggest news thing about Florida is, like, yes, the skaters, both defense and offense, have uh, been doing really, really well, but... Um, I think the biggest news story here is Chris Dreiger. Uh, he's been really good. Um, I know he's only played eight games, um, but he's played more games than Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, and uh, Chris Dreiger is 6-1-1. One one. 
Um, he has a GAA of 2.34 and a save percentage of 9.25. Um, whereas Sergei Bobrovsky um, has is uh, 3, 1, and 0. Um, and wait, I don't think I have an updated. I thought I had Bobrovsky's active regular season. Oh, here it is. 5, 2, and 1 with a GAA of 3.18 and a save percentage of 8, 8, not 8, or 8, 8, 9, I guess is <laughs> the real way of saying it. Um, so, um, so yeah, Bobrowski has had another year where he hasn't been as good as expected, especially hasn't even come close to being worth $10 million per year, uh, like his contract says. Um, but it is interesting that Chris Dreiger has been really good. Um, he's been like a big reason why, um, but like, you know, the Panthers are finally like living up to the expectations because like when they got Bobrovsky last year, like we were thinking like, and they get Quenville as the coach, we were thinking like, oh, this means that Florida is going to be like one of the top teams in the Atlantic division. And that never happened. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Bobrovsky hasn't been as good. Um, and now it, it appears that they are finally getting the goaltending. Um, and I think this is like the biggest story now is where Dreiger has been really good. Um, um, and even like last year, even though he only played uh, 12 games last year, he was 7-2-1. Um, and he had a 2.05 GAA and a save percentage of 9.38 even last year. So that's still pretty good when he was in Florida. So it's like, um, and I'm, I'm sorry, Steve, I know you played for Ottawa in those other things. So it's like, he was, Ottawa, in, he, was yeah. he was also oddly enough during the Hamburglar run, he was in our AHL system. Yep. So right. we, we knew about him before anyone else. Yeah. Did. It seems like Ottawa, like they have a habit of getting rid of their, uh, like really, really good goaltenders because they also yeah, had Ben they, Bishop. They, they also had Robin and Leonard. They leave. Yeah, and th yeah, they turn into uh, like Vezina caliber players uh, with uh, yeah, um, Robin Leonard and Ben Bishop are the two most notable ones. I'm sure you have other ones, but <laughs> you've you've been telling me this for years that they have a history of of trading star goaltenders like that. So. Um, but yeah, so he's been really good too. Of course, kind of like Carter Verhey, it's like Dreiger is like he hasn't played too many games, so he could be like you know come come into our face like that. But um, it is interesting with the fact that like Spencer Knight's probably gonna be in the NHL pretty soon too. I mean, I'm sure he has to play a, like a couple more seasons in Springfield after he's done with BC, but. So, like, you know, there's still some time, but, um, like, the fact that Dreiger um, has been really, um, really good is, is nice for, for Florida um, so far, even though, like, who knows how long this will last. Yeah, um, well, and, that, and that's the thing, right? Like, you, you look at uh, Dreiger's numbers this year, like, 2.34 GA compared to Bobrovsky's 3.18, 9.26 A percentage compared to Bobrovsky's 8.89. And you look at the shots per game, and 
I guess Trieger's been tested a bit more. He's faced 32 shots per game uh, when he started, and Bobrovsky's faced 29.3. But Bobrovsky, that Nashville game where Forsberg has like five points in the OT winner, that was a 6-5 game, and Huberto has five points for Florida. Like, there's there's a game where Bobrovsky needs to, to play well. And you look at uh, Bobrovsky last night uh, where he stops 27 of 29 against Detroit. And I guess the save percentage is good, but it's Detroit. Right. <laughs> you got to find a way to win. I, I know you only got one goal of support, but th- those are those are the type of games. And, and I'll get to the schedule thing because it's also important later on. Um, but regardless of who's playing on what night and who they're going up against, Bobrovsky needs to be the guy here. Yeah. Like it's 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 great that they're getting backup goaltending because honestly, there was a time where Bobrovsky wasn't getting results, and neither was Sam Montebo, the backup goalie at the time. Right. And that's why they brought up Chris Trieger because Montebo couldn't get the job done. Yeah. And as you mentioned, Brett, in the time that you saw last year, Chris Trieger delivered, and he continued to get. Um, pretty amazing results this year. Um, he's the type of guy that, in in the timely situations, he's making the big saves, which is what you need out of your goalie. Just make the big save. And on just three occasions, he's been charged with three goals or more. And the most he's given up in a season in a single outing is four goals, which is still fewer than Bobrovsky versus the Predators when Forsberg had that five-point game. So don't get me wrong. I like the fact that Chris Trieger is playing. It's great when your backup is playing good. That's what makes good teams great teams, when both goalies are playing well. But the major issue, again, is you're paying the goalie $10 million per year yeah. to put up Vezina numbers, and the guy that's putting up Vezina numbers is your backup that you're paying at, like, league minimum salary. Right. So Bobrovsky needs to break that trend. He's got to be better because – I don't care how good their offense is. We've seen in the past what happens when they don't get that defense, when they don't get that goaltending. Florida is an average team, straight up. They 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 are an average team last year, and they'll be an average team this year if if they don't get that uh, timely goaltending that so far they've been getting from Drieger and at times from Obrowski, but it needs to be more consistent. Yeah, I guess this just shows how, how much goaltending is just – like voodoo, um, it's just yeah. like whoa. Whoops. Ah, sorry. It's it's really tough to predict goaltenders. Yeah, it's really and, tough to evaluate them and what makes them great. Like yeah. as we mentioned with Chris Drieger during the Hamburglar run, he was in our system, and now, like I said, he's turned into the Hulk. And for the time being, he seems to be the goalie in Florida. Yeah, for sure. And it's like they're so unpredictable. Um, so that. That's something like that. It kind of reminds me back to when the St. Louis Blues, um, you know, they had Jake Allen for a couple of years, and it, it didn't seem like he was the the starter, um, even though I guess he is the starter. But um, And then they just find, like, Jordan Bennington, and they were just like, let's see if he'll work. And all of a sudden he's, like, becomes their starter, and he usurps them. Um, so, yeah, I think there is definitely an issue when you're – $10 million uh, goaltender isn't um, isn't even close to your like minimum wage uh, goaltender um, who you just started just because you needed someone uh, to get the job done. Um, but on the other hand, I think this is something that like, you know, 
like if you take the the blues uh example as well like that's that's still pretty good like you know the blues ended up winning the cup largely because Bennington was able to become a legitimate starter um so if like whatever wins you games if Dreiger is the answer then Dreiger is the answer you figure out a way to deal with Bobrovsky later it was a terrible decision at the time and still is to this day um like <laughs> it's getting worse and worse um and uh like especially the reason why I didn't understand it was like you already you drafted Spencer Knight like the week before that um, that signing so it didn't really make too much sense just from the timeline of things of like well are you expecting Spencer Knight to be in the league like anytime soon um, and, and if, and if anything, yeah. it also gives Bobrovsky time to refine his craft. Right. Like, it's tough to refine your craft last year where your plan B isn't really doing much. True. And then you get your plan B and it's like February or March where there's so little room for error. At this rate, at least, you can give Bobrovsky the amount of time that he needs to pra- in practice to focus on getting his game back and refining his game. Yep. and. It, it can definitely be a lot better than the numbers he's shown. I definitely think Bobrovsky can still be at least a top 15 goalie in this league. He just needs to find that confidence and play well consistently. And it it, um, it, it definitely makes it easier when you at least have an option that can give you the time to, to work on that. So it's right. not, not necessarily a bad thing that uh, Drieger is playing this well and making them look bad, but it, it it's also an indictment on the organization that um, it probably wasn't the best idea to give a guy in his 30s $10 million. Right. But uh, that's more of an organizational thing, not about not a Sergey Bobrovsky thing. Yeah. Um, and and to, to add to the we don't know what goalies could become, Jim Carrey in 95-96, before anyone really knew who Olaf Kolzig was, had right. an outstanding season for the Washington Capitals, and I didn't know this happened. I know Jim Carrey played NHL games. He won the freaking Vezina yeah, as that. top goalie in 95-96, and a few years later, I don't think he was even in the league anymore. So yeah. it, it, just, it just goes to show you how a few years can change things. How a guy like Bobrovsky can be the most dominant at his craft to a guy that's getting outplayed by a guy who's making like a minute, uh, a minimum of I don't know, like seven hundred k to a million a year. Yeah. Um, also, um, yeah, that kind of reminds me of Andrew Raycroft, where he was a Calder Trophy winner, and then yep. he goes to, and then he gets traded to Toronto for Tuka Rask, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the knife. yeah, exactly. So. Um, so that's, um, like in like the span of like two seasons. Um, so, so yeah, there's something to that where, yeah, you're probably right. Triger may not be the long-term option, but at the same time, you know, as I mentioned, they have Spencer Knight in the system, so they're good for the future. Um, if, if Triger isn't the answer, but it appears that Bobrovsky definitely isn't the answer unless he figures it out which gave me an idea i wonder because of the adam henrique stuff i wonder if they move bobrovsky to the ahl and they just put him on waivers because no one's going to take that contract so they just put him on waivers 
and then um, have him play in Springfield for a couple of games just so that he can get his confidence back. And then um, and then you have, like, a good tandem of Dreiger and Bobrovsky. But uh, I feel like that's too crazy out there because I guess there is a chance that someone would take Bobrovsky, but... Um, but I feel like just because of that contract, I don't think anyone's. If no that. one's taking Henrik's cap it, there's yeah. no way a team takes Bobrovsky's so, cap. All right, so it's that a good would idea. definitely be a strategy that I don't think would backfire on the Panthers in that sense. But at the same time, I don't. I don't know if I do that unless I know the guy coming back is going to be just as good. And True. Is Sam Montembeau, that guy is. Does he look good in the AHL? I don't really know. So yeah, it's a good. Point. I don't do that unless I think it's. It, it it needs to happen, and it makes sense for the team. I don't think Bobrovsky lately has been horrifically bad. True, but true. I, I, I just think he can, he can be better, and I and I know he can. So. Well, he does have a sub-900 save percentage right now, so that's okay. He does, and <laughs> his GAA is over three, but 5-2-1, yeah. and one, I mean, true. the team's winning at least. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so, uh, so we have some questions here. Are they for real? Um, I think, like, as we kind of already talked about, like, I think a lot of it depends on if Verhage and Hornquist can keep it up, even, like, getting your depth guys with Duclair and Winberg, and, of course, you know, I think the the main constant here is, or the things that you already know, even if the Panthers do start to slide, um, you know that Huberto and Barkov are going to be good, because they've been your two best players for, like, the past five years. So, like, you already know that's, that's like, a given. Um, it's more about the other players on the team where you're like, okay, I'm not necessarily sure. Um, but, yeah, a lot of it's going to hinge on, like, if they're able to get the depth scoring. If they're able to get Verhage still going. If they're able to get Hornquist going. Duclair, Alex Wenberg, even, like, guys like Frank Vetrano, Owen Tippett uh, as well. Um, there's, uh, I think there's another player on Florida as well, but, uh, so like getting those guys going, I think that's what it's truly going to hinge on. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think, I think Dreiger has been playing well. And I, I mean, I think there is a chance that he'll falter, but that's, I guess that's the biggest key of them all is, is if Dreiger can carry this team and, uh, doesn't become, um, like a bad player all of a sudden or like teams start to figure him out. But so far no one has been able to figure him out. Um, and I know it's, he's only played in eight games, but he's still been, um, he's still been pretty good for them. So I, I think he, he could be pretty well. So I'm leaning more towards, yes, they are for real. Um, but, but it's, I guess there is like a slight chance that they aren't for real. Yeah, I think part of it, uh, well, I'll be tackling this in two parts, and I'll take into account who they face so far because that is important. But taking sure. a look at the results that they've had, they're 3-1 and one in overtime games, 1-1 one and one in shootouts, both of those shootouts coming against uh, Columbus. Um, if you take a look at uh, forcing plays, 112 takeaways, 8 most in the league, Middle of the pack in giveaways, they actually have three more giveaways than takeaways at 115, but that's, again, middle of the pack, 16th highest, which isn't too bad. Um, They've drawn 61 penalties, taking 62 penalties, so they're slightly near the negative in that regard, too. Um, And we talked about 
Dadnov and Hoffman leaving the team, and while they haven't been as dominant as they were with the Panthers, they were key contributors on the power play. And Hoffman with that lethal shot was always tough to play against. So you're thinking, well, surely the power play is probably going to take a hit. This is where it gets interesting because uh, they've had 46 chances to score on the power play over those 16 games. That's a total of 69 minutes and 12 seconds. Only the Devils have had less time to work on the power play. And Florida has 14 goals, which is good enough for top 10 in the league, even though they're getting less power play ice time. Yet they're not using a lot of that ice time because they're scoring goals. And their success rate as a result is 30.4%. That's fifth overall in the league. So they're basically the opposite of Colorado, where Colorado is scoring power play goals, but they're getting the opportunities. Florida is scoring power play goals, even though they're not getting as many opportunities as like the middle of the pack teams, which which I think is pretty good. Um, killing penalties has been a bit of an adventure, and while it has improved a little bit, it should be known their last two games were against Detroit, and they're bad at everything. Like, I think I saw a stat where like 152 power play goals have been scored since Detroit last scored a power play goal. So <laughs> to put into perspective how bad Detroit is at special teams, um, so, yeah, Florida's penalty kill has been a bit of a weak spot, although I'm pretty sure it was a weak spot last year as well. Um, but even still, they can beat you in a ton of different ways. They're 7-1-2 and two in one-goal games. Um, they own a 6-2-1 and one record when giving up the first goal. Um, in terms of outshooting opponents, they're 6-2-1 and one when doing that. They're 5-1-1 one and one when they don't. Um, and because of their low goal total in the first period... It turns out they have more wins when trailing after the first than they do when leading after 20 minutes. Um, so they're a resilient group, not just a talent, uh, not just a very talented group. Um, now, when it comes to how they generate offense, they have 129 slap shots, which leads the entire league. The only two other teams that have recorded at least 100 clappers are St. Louis and Nashville, and both of those teams have a lot of defensive depth to work with, St. Louis in particular. The Panthers are in the middle of the pack when it comes to goals via the wrist shot as a result because they use the slap shot a lot, but they've generated the fourth fewest uh, wrist shots in the NHL. So the fact that they're middle of the pack in wrist shots, again, also proves that when they do get chances, they're able to convert. Their secret weapon in terms of shot selection has been the snapshot, interestingly enough. Uh, that has been responsible for 12 goals on 90 attempts. The only two teams with more snapshot goals than Florida right now, the Edmonton Oilers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, both known for um, dynamic superstar players and success on the power play. In terms of teams that have generated more attempts with the snapshot, there are only six others. And... I, again, I'll, I'll remind everyone, this is without Mike Hoffman. This is without Evgeny Dadanov. They have guys like Yuo Lomiko, Owen Tippett, Alex Heponiemi, yep. Itu Lewis Greenan. And they're all getting chances to impress, and yet they're still getting results, even with that distribution of offense, even though um, they don't have those top six scores in Dadanov and Hoffman anymore. They're still finding ways to 
get results and do so in a lot of different ways. So if you're asking me if this team is for real, they definitely have the potential to be for real, but I think it's a bit too soon to tell when you consider the teams they have gone up against. And I'll explain that right now. Because we're four to six weeks in, they're supposed to face each team in the division eight times. They faced the Red Wings six times already. Yeah. Easily the worst team. They got five goals in their first two games of the year, both against Chicago. Since then, Chicago has gotten better. In a pair of tilts against Columbus, as mentioned, forced into a shootout, they split those two games. Uh, Florida did well against Nashville, taking three or four points. You could argue they take four or four, if not for Philip Forsberg. But that Predators squad is underachieving. It underachieved last year. It's underachieving this year. You look at a team like Dallas who they're going to face three times in the upcoming week. They're going to face eight more. They're going to face a total of eight times before the series, uh, before the season uh, has ended. And you also look at uh, Tampa Bay and Carolina, which are, which is the other measuring stick. I feel like in this division, Um, they were able to come back from a two, nothing deficit last week to beat Carolina in overtime. They still have to go up against Carolina seven more times. They took two or three games from Tampa Bay, which is great but you still have five more games against them. So I think out of the the amount of games they have against Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Carolina, they win 66% of those and continue to do their job against the team they should beat. I definitely think they're capable of being a playoff team, yep. at least a top three team. I don't know top two, but at least a top three team in this division. But I just... I just don't have the foresight to crown them because I haven't seen what Bobrovsky is capable of, and I haven't seen them consistently go toe-to-toe against the teams in the division that are standing in their way. Yeah, I guess, well, that kind of brings us to our next question of how do we think they'll do in the playoffs. Um, that is a good point that they haven't really played too many of, like, tough teams so far. Like, I mean, they have they did beat Tampa um, and uh, they haven't played Carolina as much yet. But those are, like, the only... T- On the other hand, though, like, those... Carolina, Tampa, and Dallas are, like, the three toughest teams in that division. I mean, I guess you have Dallas as well, so that's, that's another one. But, like, they're better than Nashville. They're definitely better than Detroit. Um, so, like, and I guess Chicago's still in the mix, too. So, um... So, like, I, I think they're basically competing with Columbus, Chicago, um, and Dallas. Um, because you, if you assume that Tampa and Carolina are, like, one and two in the division um, by the end of it. So, um, so I, think, I think they are better than those three teams that I just mentioned. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I think they'll be in the playoffs. Um, I think... They could be, if they play like this and assuming Chris Dreiger is for real, um, yeah, I could see them making a run. I don't know if they'll necessarily be as good as Carolina or as Tampa is, but um, which I guess they would have to face one of them in the first round. But yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me either if they end up becoming, you know, they end up becoming the conference finals champ of that um 
of the division where they you know they make it they make it to the top four of the whole league um where they like win two rounds of and so. you also look at carolina i feel like they're also kind of similar with florida yeah. where they have i would say their defense is is better all around but they their top nine is is pretty formidable i would say a bit more potent than florida's but still pretty good the goaltending is their one question mark, like Florida. Right. Like, Razik is hurt. James Reimer has done all right, but he hasn't done well. And right. Alex Nadelkovich is probably around the same level of good as Reimer right now. So it, it's it's a coin toss. I think Florida could definitely hang with Carolina. But if Carolina gets that missing piece or two, um, I definitely think they get – a great a greater degree of separation on Florida than they do now. Yeah. It's just a matter of missing ingredient. I will say like if they do face Carolina or Tampa, like it's not going to be like uh a, like a sweep on either side. I think it's probably going to be a seven game series. Um mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of which which side will win that seventh game. Um, I definitely so. think they can hang with the likes of Tampa and Carolina. Yeah. Though. There's no question about that. Even yeah. with average goaltending from Trigger or Bobrovsky, they could do it. Yep. But it's if you're asking whether or not I think they'll go far, it's tough to say. Okay. And then last question here is what about the future of this team? Um, I guess that's kind of along the same lines of all the other questions we asked. But I think I was, I was more thinking of like just how – old everyone is and all that like you know the cap situation stuff i mean notwithstanding with um sergey sergey bobrovsky you still have carter verhey who's still pretty young um owen tippett's in the mix i as i mentioned spencer knight i think he's gonna be pretty good um he's kind of like a carter hard type uh their cap situation isn't even that bad because they're still one of the more cheaper teams in the league, so they could afford to like maybe be buyers um, during this trade deadline. Um, of course, you have like Patrick Bar- Alexander Patrick Barkov. You have Alexander Barkov, who's twenty five. Huberdo is twenty seven. It's like still fairly young. They still have a couple more years left in them, even though they're UFAs in a couple more years. Um, and then you have like. Um, um, Owen Tippett, as I mentioned, who's 22. Um, E2 U.S. Storanen is 22. So um, they're still a pretty young team. Um, Aaron Ekblad is 25 years old. Um, so that's, um, you know, that's he's in the mix there too. So um, it's not like they have, like, so many old guys. I guess there's Keith Yandel um, and Sergei Bobrovsky, who are over 30 years old. Um, and I guess Port Patrick Hornquist as well. But everyone else is, like, in their 20s or, you know, nearing 30 but not quite there yet. So I think they're okay for the future um, if they don't, you know, make it far in the playoffs this year. But they're in fairly good shape, which I think is uh, it's a good thing for them. Yeah, um, I'm. I definitely the age is a concerning part, particularly when it comes to Bobrovsky. And you look at right. the older guys on the blue line, you know, like Gandel and Strowman, and and their prospect pool is, I would say, average. It's yep. not good. It's not great, but it's it's not bad. It's it's average. Yep. Um, and I think in terms of their future, I would I would say intriguing is the first word that comes to mind because I think. 
how good this team can be in the future, as I mentioned off the top, depends on Jonathan Huberto and Alexander Barkov, particularly what happens within the next two or three years, because Barkov in two years' time is going to be an unrestricted free agent. He can sign wherever he wants if Florida can't keep him. And they're going to face the same situation the year after that with Huberto. In three years, he's going to become a free agent. And both guys have been dynamic players for at least a few years now. Both guys are probably going to ask for more money than what they're getting right now. And the money that Florida's paying them right now is an absolute bargain considering what they are uh, chipping in. So I think this year is going to tell a lot because in the opinion i'm sure for a lot of people um and for me as well the easiest way to keep both guys on board is winning by building a strong team around them generating a winning culture developing good habits and drafting well and performing well in the short term i think is going to make it easier to keep them around doesn't guarantee that they're going to stay but it definitely makes things easier for the gm to convince them to stay um because both of these guys are going to get a lot of serious offers from contending teams. There, a lot of people are going to want to lure them away from Florida. And they're only going to get better after this year. Um, they are already good last year. Um, so I think Florida really needs to lock down both Barkov and Huberto to extensions. Um, just for the sake of the team's success, it's so pivotal to keep them around. And... Um, I, I think this year could go a long way in convincing Huberto and Barkov that they can win right here with the Panthers and they don't have to go anywhere else to chase the Stanley Cup when they can do it right here. Um, because, you know, you'll, you'll look at a team, the teams like Tampa and Boston and Toronto, and the rhetoric, I'm sure, is going to be, well, can we really get to that next step with those guys in the way? Do we have to, like, move divisions and go on different teams in order to really like chase our dreams individually maybe that's something that could come up but i think if if florida really elevates their game in the next year or two um it could definitely keep the conversation towards an extension as opposed to what the heck are we going to do beyond these next two years or three years so i i think the futures of barkov and huberto are going to be pivotal to what this team does after this yeah, I will say uh, just from the um, from the um, prospects point of view, Anton Lindell, um, he's been pretty good in yeah, Liga. He's been very good. He's been very good. He's twenty five points in twenty four games, um, and he had a very good uh, World Juniors as well. Um, also, Logan Hutsko, um, Owen Tippett, I guess isn't really a um, a a prospect, but. Um, now because he's he's playing some games in the NHL, but he's he's been decent or shown some promise there. Uh, Grigory Denisenko is another one who's been pretty good, even though he's only played four games in the AHL. He has, has three points in those games. Um, so so they're they're in, I mean I know you said they're average in prospects, but they have some guys in in. Uh, in the system mm-hmm. where you're like, oh, they could be decent. Also, speaking of the World Juniors, they have like both Spencer Knight and Devin Levi. 
um, who yep. made some noise in the um, you know the World Juniors for both Team Canada and Team USA, respectively. So um, just from like like even if Chris Dreiger uh, starts to pumpkin, you know, fall like a pumpkin. Or uh, Bobrovsky starts to uh, continues to have like a sub nine hundred thing. So you still have like a bright future of Spencer Knight and Devon Levi um, in the system, where they could uh, end up being like a good duo, even though they were rivals in the World Juniors a couple of years um, mm-hmm. prior um, at that point. So, so yeah, it's not like too bad, but yeah, you're right in terms of like. A lot of it's going to hinge on if Barkov and Huberdo are like, you know what, Florida is like a pl- an happening place, and if they feel comfortable and are good with their future, because they're gonna, they're the keys. That like, if you don't have those guys, they, um, then you have to start to rebuild, and you're gonna start to flounder, no matter how good uh, their team is doing right now. So, mm-hmm. a lot of that's going to hinge on on how they're feeling. Yeah. All right. Uh, that was actually a long episode. Um, I think a lot of it was just to do with the fact that we had a couple of things to get off at the top of the show, but um, I think it was all worthwhile to, to talk about for sure. Um, but yeah, that's about it for us. Um, our our Spotify is, you know, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes, and all that stuff. On uh, as lace them up. Our Facebook is lace them up. Our Twitter is lace up podcast. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 258 of the lace them up podcast.